Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mortally Wounded, episode 24. I'm your host, Chris Welfare. And I'm your host, James Mabry. So, welcome back, everybody. This episode, me and James are going to be chatting through the Sydney Slaughter 2019 scenarios and scenario pack itself. Um, we're going to cover off the five scenarios. I think James is going to grill me a little bit on what my inspirations were this year for, for writing the scenarios. Um, and yeah, we're going to kind of cover, cover them off, explain them for people that haven't read the pack so they get an idea of, of the uh, five scenarios. And we're going to go through all of the bits and bobs in them. And maybe I'll share some little tactical insights potentially uh, <laughs> for, for what people should be considering when trying to achieve these missions. So if you're listening to this episode, you need to get your notepads out and uh, start taking some notes because you're going to get all the inside, all the inside skinny on this one. <laughs> On all these yeah. scenarios. If you want the edge at Sydney Slaughter, then you're in the right place right now. And uh, yeah, also sign up for Sydney Slaughter if you haven't already done so. We're going to, uh, at time of recording, the sign up deadline it will be this Sunday. So we're going to hopefully get this episode edited nice and quickly, get it out there um, so people have time to listen. Um, but yes, before we crack into the episode, if you haven't already signed up for Sydney Slaughter and you're available on the 8th and 9th of June in Sydney, please check out the Facebook event, Sydney Slaughter 2019. Find us and sign up. Indeed. So just for people who um, have got no idea what Sydney Slaughter is, like it's uh, it's, it's the third year running of the tournament. And um, Chris, just want to give a little bit of background as to what sort of how it sort of developed with relation to the scenarios and over the last few years and that's sort of where it sort of brought you. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we chatted a, a little bit about it a few weeks ago on um, the coaches YouTube show with um, Anthony Magro and Liam. Um, but yes, the Sydney slaughter for me really is um, it's the event I would want to, it's an event I would want to attend myself. Um, I talked about how I, all Warhammer to me is narratively driven or narratively based in terms of setting. So, but I am very much a match play gamer. So Sydney Slaughter each year, I write five custom scenarios, but the intent is that they are always, it is, it is and always will be very much a competitive matched play event, but there will always be a narrative theme, whether that be a continuous kind of flow on story um, as with the first year, and to some degree last year between the scenarios where I actually wrote kind of narrative linking it all through as a journey almost for the generals going through five separate missions all culminating um, in an outcome to this year where it's five independent scenarios but they're all based on recent um, kind of battle time releases um, or, and inspired by them so there's definite flavor from uh, things like the Skaven Battle Tome, Gloomspike Gits, um, Nighthaunt, things like that. So, and people will very easily see that in in the scenarios themselves. So, um, yeah, that's that's really kind of a, an overview of of Slaughter in terms of what it is from a gaming um, perspective. But it it also very much the event encourages good sportsmanship, as I think all events should. Um, we've got a first, second, and third prize for best sports this year. Um, and it also has a separate side painting competition as well because we do really want the event to be a place for kind of all aspects of the hobby. So gaming, sportsmanship and painting um, and presentation as well of the army in terms of conversions, coolest army and things like that. So it's um, it's kind of an all-round event that is something that I hope has something for everybody um, and is just 
kind of a staple on the calendar really and people look forward to it every year and every year it's going to be different you're always going to get fresh scenarios it's always going to appear at a point where it's towards the end of the year where perhaps people are before the new general's handbook comes out given the the june kind of cycle so people are maybe a bit done with the the existing scenarios and want something a little bit different this event falls nicely into that time slot and it, it, it is something a bit different so yeah absolutely and it also just um harkening back to that um show we did with the coach was uh, we'll, like we were talking about memories that we'd had from Sydney Slaughter that were like from two two years ago, three years ago, whatever. And, um, you know, the, the games that you'll play at this tournament will, you know, will be memorable experiences. Like there's some tournaments you go to, you just don't remember, you know, it's hard to remember everything that happened in your game. You, yeah, of course you remember some memorable moments, but Sydney Slaughter is just like packed full of those kind of moments. So um, yeah, you've got that to look forward to as well. So yeah, I, I lo- and I love hearing those stories. Um, I think it helps that every year they are five different new scenarios, and this is basically the only time they get they get played. So it does help them stick in your mind a little bit because you'll remember playing, like the Crystal Labyrinth or or yeah. wherever. You'll remember <laughs> that because it's one time that happened. Um, whereas when you, when you've been to 10, 12 events and played all these games of border war or blood and glory, like they all start to merge into one. So, um, yeah, I, I do like that it, people can still remember their, their kind of yeah. feats and things that happened in their games well, from, t- <laughs> from two years ago. So that's it. Like I'll never forget, um, like play testing. I think it's that scenario with the, how you divide the board up. You've got all the portals that you can put spells through. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget when Arkin cast Curse of Years through one of those portals, rolled a one, went back, and he Curse of Years himself off the table. <laughs> yeah. That is Zinch's Crystal Labyrinth for you. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you can expect lots of fun things like that. But, um, yeah, so it sort of started out very kind of a bit, I wouldn't say over-the-top crazy, but it, it it's kind of over the last few years you've kind of honed honed it down a bit and uh, taken on feedback every year from um, from uh, players and sort of so this year has kind of been uh, feedback has been that it's probably the most sort of match play-ish kind of scenario pack compared to the previous couple of years would you say it was right yeah definitely um i i've always wanted it to be a match play event um generally i think tournament attendance certainly is match play focus um, yes, there's a few kind of narrative events, but I probably wouldn't know how to run a very good narrative event because myself would be trying to put rules and how does someone win and I don't quite have the mindset to do true narrative. So it, it's always going to be a match play event for me, but I do want those narrative elements. And as you say, the first year, I think there was probably a bit too much narrative. Um, <laughs> there was some wild and wacky things that could and did happen. As you say, someone like Arkan bouncing back, maybe that's probably a little bit outside the bounds of, of fairish match play um so each year i'm kind of taking on feedback and um trying to tone it back still have a narrative feel but definitely be much more um in the in the feel of a general's handbook type match play scenario and i think if anybody looks at the player pack this year especially travis has done a great job for me and and made them really look and feel like a general's handbook scenario um yeah. they should look you should feel familiar with them even if it's the first time you've ever read them because the layout and everything looks like it's taken from the general's handbook so yeah the language um, and everything down to the wording i've literally Mm. been copying the wording and just tweaking it where i needed to for the specific um scenario effects so yeah it's um this is definitely the most 
matched play focused year um it's been so yeah hopefully everyone looking for a good strong match play experience will enjoy it but also have those memorable narrative moments yeah well should we should we launch into the uh first scenario of the weekend yeah um i might just overarch it with saying while um there's no realmscape um kind of things that malign sorcery is not in play other than realm artifacts um and endless spells obviously but that being that's because i have built in a realm command a realmscape feature and a realm spell into each scenario so i didn't want anything on top of that um there's nothing too crazy in there you'll find if you go through the spells most of them are actually just slightly amended versions of existing spells and things like that um command abilities as well if there's any sort of teleporting it's always down to a command ability it's choice it's not going to be a realmscape feature on the roll of a six you can do something because that is they're the less balanced realmscape features i think um because if one person manages to roll a six and their opponent can't it can swing the tide massively so down to everything i've really tried to make it so that there's nothing too crazy going to happen from any of these realmscape features because i know that a lot of people have concerns that even the realm stuff currently that is through the ghb and things like that is um is a bit out of whack for um, match play so hopefully it doesn't put people off seeing that there's realm stuff um in it and people hopefully listening to this and reading the scenario pack will will see actually there's nothing really too crazy there and Obviously, if both players agree they don't really want to use it, then they don't have to. Um, yeah. So it's it's there, but um, I think it's fun. I think it adds tactical elements to the game rather than making anything outright crazy or breaking any armies so that they don't work. Um, but yeah. Cool. So the first scenario in terms of those in the pack, because the actual order of the scenarios at the event not necessarily be the order that they are written in the pack they are not scenario one scenario two scenario three um so they will be played in an order to be determined after list submission so people can't write their lists (laughs) looking for a certain game one thing like that um yeah that's the grudge for the easy win yeah exactly um or (laughs) it's even things like that going okay if i think i want to be on table one for round five this is going to be the scenario, so I need to. This needs to be my strongest army for this scenario, type thing. So, yeah, this won't be the order. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll crack on. The first scenario is the Norholes. So, <laughs> you can guess which which battle tome inspired this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is very Skaveny. Um, so, I literally thought, well, the Skaven have the Norholes, which is their three Norholes, which they can place kind of anywhere um, on the board. And I decided there's very much a triangular theme going on with Skaven, with the Vortex and things like that. So this scenario has a triangular kind of deployment zone um, in opposite corners for both players, kind of meeting in the, the central um, the central line of the lo- long board edge. And then there's an objective in each person's territory, in the centre of each person's territory. And then there's one in the centre of No Man's Land. Um, and yeah, so there's three objectives, three triangles as you look at the map. And yeah, basically the uh, standard kind of capturing rules apply for the objectives. Most models within six. However, a leader, um, a model with the leader battlefield role within three counts as 10 models instead of one. Yep. 
Um, this may get tweaked. I'm just going to say it now um, before list submission because at the time of writing this, it was before the Fire Slayers battle time and leader was the um, the battlefield roles were the wording that the General's Handbook was using um, and it only meant heroes. Whereas now I think you can get leaders that aren't heroes like Grimwrath Berserkers. So potentially someone could have like 20 in their list um, mm. and it's not the intention for models that aren't heroes. You should It should only be heroes so um if i need to i'll probably just put it as an faq that leaders heroes for this scenario yeah. um so sorry any list with 20 grim wrath berserkers in the hopes that they can count as 200 models it's not going to happen <laughs> um but yeah leaders within three of the objectives count as 10 models so um they are going to help you score these objectives um and it's whoever has the most points by the end of the fifth battle round wins a major victory. If you're tied, you get a minor. Um, sorry, yeah, if you're tied and the player with the most kill points gets a minor, and then if you're tied on victory points and kill points, it's a draw. It's basically the same as General's Handbook. Yeah. So you get like one point like for objective in your own territory, obviously. That's the pretty standard. Then you get two for the ones in the no man's land. You get three points for the uh, your opponent's one. So... It's yep, kind of like the way I know this is like a podcast, so you won't you can't visualize it. But if you've if you're listening along, um, recommend you get out your um, scenario pack just to have a look, just to get a bit more context on it. But um, I really see this scenario like as uh, like a situation where you're going to be sort of having a bit of a race to that central objective, so you can get there first and and hold it, and then you've you've got you know those decisions you have to make to like are you going to camp on yours and then go for theirs or how are you going to protect yours while you're going for theirs and all those sorts of uh, things along the way and whilst trying to grab that um, no man's land one too. So I think there's a few layers of um, complexity there and a lot of dis- like decisions you'll have to make uh, with your army to to really try and cap all three, I think, because you're actually not too far away from each other um, in your deployment either. I think it's nine inches from enemy territory and not within nine of the center line of the table. So it kind of pushes you, pushes you yeah, back so a bit. The, clo- the closest you can be, it's this one, the closest you can be is 18 inches apart. Yeah. Um, That's at the closest the point. Because you've got that diagonal, like the triangle uh, uh, territories, it's, and you have to stay within that. So you, you kind of be, yeah, you'll be sort of spread out a bit. So you can deploy closer, like up that line to get that central objective as well. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a different, uh, way to arrange your forces on the board, which I think will be like, it's quite refreshing really. I haven't seen anything like it. So yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things as well. I like to do things that are a bit different. I don't just want to do the same kind of general's handbook. Like, yes, it's on a six by four, but as you say, there aren't anywhere. It's triangular deployment. So I was like, well, let's do it. It looks, it's fine. looks to me like it works. I've played the scenario myself and it was fine. Um, I think it's quite nice. Everyone likes it a bit differently because, as you say, you can you can deploy a unit up there to be closer to the central objective, but you'll be really close to your kind of board edge and actually really far apart from your opponent. Yeah. So um, it's quite nice? interesting. It it, it play it makes re- for really interesting space control on the board. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you got your command ability, which is. Quick, quick, tunnel, tunnel. <laughs> so at the end of your moving phase, you can select a friendly unit wholly within 12 of your general. You remove it from the battlefield and set up anywhere on the battlefield more than nine from enemy models. That's pretty good. For one command point, you can you can yep. get your unit up on there. You can, so get, you a, you can get a unit on there straight away if you took your first turn. Yep. 
so you, you've got a built-in teleport, um, but it's end of your movement phase. So obviously there's no shenanigans of teleporting, then moving again. Yeah. Um, you have to be wholly within. So if you can't, once the game's underfoot, if you've strung units out and you're not in range, you're not going to be able to teleport. Um, but it's all it's all control. It's not teleport on a roll of a six. Yeah. If you want to teleport, you can teleport. It's going to cost you a command point to do it, though. So yeah. Wholly um, within 12 of the gym, yep. too. Yeah, it's good. And so the Realmscape feature... So we've got the unstable ether void. So the objectives called null holes by the primitive Skaven are actually tears in the ether void, the magical webways that connect the mortal realms. Such tears are often tears, tears, not tears. <laughs> I was listening to the honest war game today. We're talking about tears in tears in the dice. <laughs> so I've got that on my mind at the moment. Um, yeah. Tears in the ether void. Um, and they're unstable and being near them for long periods of time is not without danger. So this is, I like this. This is interesting. So at the start of your hero phase, roll a dice uh, to determine the effect of the ether void that turn. So if on a one, uh, the closest unit to each objective suffers D3 mortal wins. So it's kind of like a deadly roll. Um, two to five, nothing happens. It's not too risky. And six, you select one objective. The closest to the selected objective suffers D3 mortal wins. So it's, yeah, one and a six. Yep. So on a one, it hurts potentially yourself, hurts everyone. If you're near the objective, it's going to hurt you. Um, but on a six, you get to pick which objective goes off. So if you've got two and your opponent's got one, you can pick the one that your opponent's holding. But it's not going to break the bank. It's only D3 mortal wounds to the closest unit. And so. if, you're with, if you've got a Slanesh army, that's more depravity points, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Slanesh will love this one. <laughs> Uh, Realm Magic, uh, Sphere of Ulgu. So the caster projects a dark cloud of mist across the battlefield, shrouding their allies in darkness. So the Sphere of Ulgu has a casting value of 6. If successfully cast, pick a friendly unit wholly within 13 of the caster. I like it. <laughs> um, subtract 1 from hit rolls of missile weapons, which target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. So cool. you got a little uh, extra debuff there and protection for a unit or whatever you want to put it on, I guess. But, um, yeah, yep. Holly within 13. So that's that's another um, very scaven <laughs> Yeah, I just, it's there. just trying to add in the little bits of narrative, but yep. keeping it within the kind of match play environment. And, yeah, it's Holly within 13, and it's a minus one to hit from missile, missile weapons. Yep. We're not talking limit the range of all shooting and range to six yeah. for the whole battlefield. Do you know what I mean? There's no, there's nothing crazy. Like that's a lot less crazy than what can currently exist in the game if you're playing Realmscape um, yeah. Realm features. So, but hopefully it just gives people a little bit that they can do. Yeah, a little bit of protection. Like if you if you're camping on your own home objective and you've got a, a wizard there and you just need to sort of tank that out a bit, you can give yourself that extra bit of boost of protection in the shooting phase, I guess, for from the big shooty lists. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I was like, well, Skaven are in the. Uh, Skaven are in Ulgu, so in terms of the narrative, they've been that's their home base, mainly where they've been based in the shadows. So, yep. So the Norholes is set in Ulgu. Love it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this one you kind of already touched on. Generally, ways to to play it. Are you going to race probably for the middle one because, like, do you want that or do you want to try and go for your opponents if they? try and commit half their force to the middle? Are they going to weaken it? Are you going to try and get theirs? Um, so there's yeah. multiple ways you can play. As you say, first turn, you can just run something, 
try and get it on there. Um, you have to be fairly fast because actually you can't deploy super close to the objective. Yeah. Um, but that's why you have, for the armies that are a bit slower and might not physically have a unit capable of making the move, you've got a command point. If you if you get given first turn from your opponent, like that's the thing, you can immediately just go, okay, well, if my opponent gives me first turn because they want the chance of having a double turn if they can win a priority, you're just thinking I'm slow. At least those armies have the option of, okay, well, I'm going to spend my command point and I'm just going to put a big unit surrounding that objective and I'm going to make my opponent rethink about giving away that first turn and things like that. So um, hopefully it's something where people have gone. It's not something that's only giving the good armies more tools. It's giving any army at all because every army, no matter what they do on that first turn, is going to generate a command point. Any like with the speed, you can put a unit on it. You can get in the game. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. I love it. Uh, so we move on to the the bad moon. <laughs> so, James, which battle tome is this inspired by? Um, is it oh, Slaves of Darkness? Oh no! Oh. Sorry, it's, cl- it's, cl- it's clearly Sylvaneth. No. <laughs> no. So yeah, this is the Gloom Spike Gits inspired scenario. <laughs> so um, this one is a kind of central box deployment, very similar to the old. Um, is it Duality of Death that pushes you to the middle, or Three Places of Power? Uh, I think it's Duality. One of those two, anyway. Mm. So you have to deploy in a box kind of 18 in from the edge and um, no more than 12 on. So you've still got plenty of space. You've got a 12 by 36 um, space to deploy your army, um, but you won't be able to use the spaces at the side of the boards. So again, it can create some interesting things in terms of zoning and units that can drop in um, on the edges. You've got four objectives kind of in the center of each of the um board quarters and then one central objective so um this one is standard control most models within six at the end of the turn um there's no kind of units that are worth more in this it's just most models within six um and the main mechanic for this one is the bad moon so the bad moon um starts shining over the central objective and at the start of the second battle round at the start of each battle round after that roll a d6 to determine how the bad moon moves that turn on a one it does not move and it stays shining over the objective that it's shining over on a two to five it moves clockwise in one quadrant and on a six the bad moon moves to the central objective if the bad moon is already on the central objective when determining when it moves, on a two to five, it moves to the matching numbered quadrant. So you'll see on the map, you basically have the top left is two, top right is three, bottom right is four, bottom left is five. So if it's already in the middle and you roll a two to five, it just goes to whichever number you roll. Yeah. Um, and basically what it does is you score, um, each player scores points at the end of each of their turns for each objective they control any of the four um, objectives in any of the quadrants are worth one. The central objective is worth two. But if a player controls an objective which is under the light of the bad moon, they get double the normal VPs for that. So any the one in the quadrant that it's shining on will be worth two. And if it's shining over the middle, it will be worth four. Nice. So you kind of want to go for that central, try and 
stick there and hold there if you can. You do, but then there's that if you run to the middle, your opponent can kind of put their whole army yeah, because because, because their whole army is going to be deployed in a more confined rectangle in the middle. Yeah. If you try and go for the middle, your whole arm, your opponent's whole army is much closer to it. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Yeah, it's. I'll, I'll talk about. Um, I'll talk about my experience in the Valley of Death when we get to it. But yeah, just the the way that you've structured these um, deployment zones really makes for a really fun game. Um, so, command ability for this one is uh, Madcap Mushroom. <laughs> so, in your hero phase, select a friendly hero with the wizard keyword within three inches of the general. Interesting. They can add one to the casting result of the next spell they attempt to cast in that hero phase. Alternatively, you may add two to the casting result. However, after resolving the spell, whether it was cast or not, the caster suffers D6 mortal wounds. Whew. Ouch. That's a bad mushroom. It's that's the <laughs> It's a powerful mushroom, but you're gonna be tripping. You're gonna be tripping bowls. And you get plus two to your casting. Yeah. And so you've got a the wizard has to be within three of the general. So you basically the general chucks him a mushroom, hands him a yeah. mushroom and then he eats it and then Or if the general is a wizard, he can obviously do it on himself. Ah uh, yes, of course. Yeah. Nice. As so what, um, what gave you the idea of this one? Three of himself. What, what, what gave you the inspiration for this one was, is this one you made up? I'm not hugely familiar with um, the Gloomspite Gits uh, command abilities and whatnot, but is this kind of echo something that's already out there or is this completely new? Oh, Madcap Mushroom. Yeah, I think it's an existing, or it certainly was. Um, there's a shaman that they have Madcap Mushrooms that boost their casting, um, yep. but you could get a bad bite, I think, if you rolled a one. You, oh, it yes, used to, of course. I think it yeah. used to be like you could roll an extra d6 and add it to your casting result, but on a one, you took mortal wounds. So yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> so then, shroomancy, as it's, I think it's called shroomancy. <laughs> I love it. Um, so the realmscape feature for this one is Dankhold Lairs. So uh, the creatures of the Dankhold have many hidden lairs lurking under bridges, hills, forests, and many other locations, and many a weary traveller has gone missing while stumbling through the wilderness of the mortal realms. At the start of your hero phase, roll a dice to determine the effect of the Dankhold lairs that turn. So one to two, nothing stirs, no effect. Three to four, select one terrain feature. All units within one inch suffer D3 mortal wounds. And on a five and six, select D3 terrain features. All units within one inch um, of any selected terrain feature suffers D3 mortal wounds. Wow. So that's the start of each hero phase. We see if there's any uh, any creatures come out and pop a few wounds off. Yep. But again, it's only D3 mortal wounds. Um, and it's, yeah, the, per- the start of each player's hero phase. Um they get control, so if you do it to your opponent, they get it to you. But it's only within one inch, so if you don't want to get hurt by it, don't be in cover. But it also means that anyone that's using cover for a bonus risks getting hurt by it. So that's yeah. the whole point. It's only going to affect people that are trying to use terrain for some bonus already. Yeah. It's that risk-reward of, oh, do I want to be stood here for the benefit of Arcane when my opponent might be able to pop D3 more wounds onto me? And you get to... In your turn, you get to pick it as well. So you're gonna you can protect yourself and put some damage down on your opponent. So yeah, potentially. Yeah. But again, it's only D three mortal wounds, so it's not going to kill anything from full health. So yeah, yeah. Um, so realm magic. So this one's obviously set in the realm of Gur. 
So a sphere of Gur is the is the spell. So the caster draws upon the beastly magics of Gur, igniting a primal fury in in a nearby beast, sending them into a frenzy strong enough to ignore the most grievous of wounds. So the sphere of Gur has a casting value of five. If successfully cast, pick a friendly monster within 18 of the caster that is visible to them. Until your next hero phase, when you look up a value on that monster's damage table, that monster is treated as if it has suffered zero wounds. So that's kind of like the, uh, reminds me of that Flesh Eater Quartz um, ability that you can put on your terror geists and zombie dragons. It should, because it's the exact same wording, because that's where I took it from. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So yeah, that is basically a sphere of Gur is the monstrous vigor spell. Yeah. yeah. Um essentially from Flesh Eater Quartz, although I think that casts on a six No, I think it's a five. I think I double checked the value and I did it on the same value. But they have to be visible. Yeah. Um and yeah. So it's it's no more than an existing spell, but it gives other people access to things that flesh eaters can do. Nice. I like um it. And yeah, just a thing as well, maybe noticed or not, for anyone that plays Underworlds, the uh, the realm spells are all Sphere of that realm, which is um, something that I was inspired to take a little bit of inspiration from Underworlds, because they have their Sphere of Shaiish and Sphere of um, Hish and things like that. So Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a little bit of Underworlds going into my pack. Nice. It's under. I need to get into Underworlds a bit more. Like I've, I've got a few warbands there, but I've haven't really. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Play I've... the Night Haunt. They're good. Yeah. Well, I've got them. I've, I've just need to paint the Briar Queen to add to that one. But um, yeah. Okay. Uh, should we move on to the spawning pools? Yep. All right. Spawning pools. Yep. So this one, is... this one. So this one is inspired by Seraphon which they have not had a battle tome recently, but I'm hopeful that they might. Um, <laughs> and if they do, these are this is sort of the potential rumours of things thinking what could Seraphon get um, in terms of an army mechanic or a terrain feature potentially um, would be maybe spawning pools and things like that. So something that inspired me was the kind of the Seraphon army and things like that so this scenario i mean there's like i've played played the last two tournaments and they're they're so they're like they've got some great mechanics and they're just beautiful always beautiful on the table you can do so much with it hobby wise and uh yeah some of those constellation abilities are pretty strong too yeah i've been i was actually thinking just today i might speed paint out my seraphon soon i think i just want to do them like um a nebula kind of color scheme. I've got the color shift paints. I might just all over color shift them and then do like white dots all over them, like stars. So as if they're just like <laughs> a like nebula. Galaxy, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like reflecting starlight. Um, and then, yeah, be an easy way to get them on the table and cool. But just do jungle basing as well. Yeah. But, um, I was going to say um, contrast paints are on the horizon. So yeah, maybe. But I think I'll just use them for everything, to be honest. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to them actually. Like, I'm I'm looking forward to experimenting and seeing how it turns out and incorporating into my um, I guess my repertoire of techniques. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about. It. I think it's great. I think it's great. It's good. Yeah, no, I think that'll be cool. That'll definitely help anyone trying to get an army on the table quickly. So yeah, I think you know we all like to get the armies on there as quickly as we can sometimes. <laughs> um, okay, so the sporting pools. So it's a traditional sort of. Uh, territory setup so basically this scenario if anyone looks at the map it will look very familiar to better part of valor 
because it is basically based on better part of valor this scenario um but it's in amongst the playtesters this has been called better better part of valor already which is um <laughs> which was the hope so um basically there's six objectives um on the 12 inch line there's three in each player's territory um which are spaced there's one in the center and then 24 inches out from that in either direction so standardly again most models within six however a behemoth within three counts as 10 models for this scenario um again most points all of that's the standard glorious victory rules most points by the end of the fifth gets a major if you're tied you've got more kill points it's a minor and if you're tied on both it's a draw but of this one as well you can't just reading that last paragraph and the objectives uh you don't control it if you um if you don't have any models within six of it so you have to camp because a lot of people hate in better part of valor that you can burn an objective when you don't even have models there if you controlled it in the previous turn you just run away from it but you still have the control and you can burn it even if there's no one there so the modification I've made is if neither player has any models within six, neither player controls it, regardless of whether it was controlled previously. So yeah. you can't you can't tap and go on this one. You have to always have models within six. Yeah. And does it have to be is there certain um no, this it's just more models than six. It's yeah. all all of them are most models within six. It's not like knife to the heart where you need at least five or whatever. No, but behemoth yeah. count as ten. Yeah. Cool. Um so then starting from the second battle round, not the first at the end of each of their turns a player can choose to destroy one or more objectives a player scores x victory points for the objective they destroy where x is the number of consecutive turns they've controlled the objective so it's basically the same as better part of valor you can burn objectives they escalate in how many points they're worth but it's just the standard if you've controlled it for two turns it's worth two three is worth three four is worth four etc it doesn't do the one two four eight kind of mechanic that the existing one does um and you can't burn on the first turn, which again is most people's issue with better part of Valor. So there won't be any games that just end on turn one. Yeah, unless you got flesh eating courts. No, they still don't end. Come on, James. <laughs> don't be one of those people. <laughs> Nothing wrong with my flesh eating courts. <laughs> oh, triggered. <laughs> Hashtag 10, 10.7k kill points. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, but yes so there will be no turn one burning um and you there will be no tag and go burning without models controlling so um i think this should be this should lead to a lot more kind of fun and interesting and interactive games absolutely than better part of valor it's the better better part of valor (laughs) hopefully and um yeah hopefully if you find if you play it and you find that it is better than better part of valor please do tell me that it's better better part of valor (laughs) So this one, uh, so we've got some command ability written in. So uh, is divining the constellations. So you may use this command ability at the start of your hero phase. Your general may re-roll a single, a single D6 once before the start of your next hero phase. You may not use this command ability more than once per turn. Wow. Wow. Wow, yeah. Chris. That's fine. As Terrorgeist, that- you may roll a single D6, Terrorgeist. <laughs> Yeah, one On dice. Of your, well, you can't re-roll a re-roll anyway, so... No, you can't re-roll a re-roll, and it's a re-roll. It's not change a dice, and it's 1d6 for a command point. Yeah. I don't think that many people will use it. Yeah, it's... If it, was, if it was change a dice, 
frankly it would be too strong which is why it's not change of dice but yeah i don't think it's i actually don't think many people will decide that a command point is worth a single reroll. no but but some people will yeah it's it's something there to in your toolbox in your back pocket uh, so the Realmscape feature is early spawning. So the spawning process is long and difficult to master. Many generations have been lost due to complications in the spawning process. And if rushed, the resultant brood are often a much wilder, of a much wilder temperament than normal and even worse. Some are warped, chaotic creatures incapable of being, being controlled. So this is... Uh, I like this bit. So each time you destroy an objective, roll a d6 and see below to determine the, the effect. Subtract X from the result where X is the number of victory points gained for destroying that objective. So whatever, however many points you're getting, you just subtract that from your roll. Yep. Um, so one or less, a successful brood, nothing happens. Yay! Because <laughs> basically, the longer you've controlled an objective before you burn it, the more points you'll earn, which means you'll subtract a higher number, so you're more likely to get one or less. So that's the whole point, is you haven't rushed it. So as we'll read on, this will only punish people that are trying to quickly snag an objective off someone and just burn it. Yeah. So if you roll two or three, a two to three, um, hastening, hasten spawning. The resultant brood are initially irritable and lash out mildly. All units within three inches of the destroyed objective suffer D3 mortal wounds. So that's a bit of a bit of restless brood there coming, lashing out at you. But uh, on a four plus, great, uh, Gave spawned. Gave spawned. So that's taken from the Beasts of Chaos Battle Tome. Gave spawn. Uh, Gave spawn is one of the um, like army wide kind of what are they called like allegiances that you can be. Oh, I see. Right. Cool. Um, so the spawning process was rushed was rushed too much, and the resultant spawning are devolved foul creatures which cannot be controlled and immediately start savaging, attacking all around them. So all units within six inches of the destroyed objective suffered D6 mortal wounds. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. So there you go, folks. Hang on to them. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's what hap- so basically that's what happens if you run in and just try and snag an objective and just burn it to get ahead. It's very likely that you might get a, well, it's still only on a 50, 50 and actually it wouldn't even be a 50, 50 because you'd subtract one from the roll, no matter what. So yeah. it's going to happen less than you think. Yeah. So it'll only actually happen one third of the time. So again, it's not too crazy because I didn't want them being too crazy. Um, but if you do literally just burn an objective, the turn like after controlling it for any one turn, then on a five or a six, you'll get Gave spawned, and all <laughs> units within six are going to take D six more wounds. So you run in with a unit, that unit's going to cop something back. Yeah, it's cool. It's kind of like that. Also, that risk reward thing going on there, but yeah. That's very much how I like to put stuff into that very much is kind of a crux of the game for me is weighing up risk and reward and having choices rather than a random kind of dice roll. Yeah. Um, You you have to consider, you've got to consider it's tactics and strategy. Yeah. 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 It's not just something that suddenly just pops up and devours your whole unit or something. (laughs) Yeah. As fun as that would be. Anyway, but that's that's where as well because it's a D six mortal wounds. That is one of the just roll a one, like just roll a one. That's one of the considerations for the divining the constellations. A single D six reroll. Ah, so you can use that divining constellations to reroll anything. 
Oh wow! So if you ran in with, if you decided to do it, you can know you're going to try and burn something. You run in with a unit. You don't want to take d6 more. You don't want to take six more wounds. If you happen to roll that six, you might have that reroll available to reroll it and hopefully roll lower. Well, and also like if your army has got a lot of command points or has the ability to generate command points or get them back somehow, yeah, it's one it's one command point to have in your back pocket to re-roll this effect if it really if you really need to yep so depends on how you build your army and what you you know how how precious command points are to you but and like to your overall strategy and and list build but um yeah no it's good it ties in nicely though those two that sort of makes more sense now so yeah uh so the real magic for this one is uh the sphere of Heish. so projecting a Dazzling orb of starlight, the caster bathes their allies in the warm glow or blinds their foes. So the Sphere of Heish has a casting value of 7. If successfully cast, pick a unit within 12 of the cast that is visible to them, not wholly within. Um, if a friendly unit was picked, subtract one, one from the hit rolls of any attacks that target it until your next hero phase. Um, otherwise, subtract one from the hit rolls of any attacks that makes that it makes until your next hero phase. So basically, if you pick an enemy unit, they will be minus one to hit. And if you pick a friendly unit, your opponent is minus one to hit against that unit. Yeah. Cool. A little bit, little um, protection. Basically, the, or it, to kind of make something easier to hit if you want to shift an objective, shift them, it, shift them off the objective. It's basically the bathed in starlight spell that the Skink Star Priest has with a bit of an amendment because it has that dual purpose. You can use it on yourself or your opponent. And yeah. Um, but yeah, this one, because it can be on your opponent, it uh, doesn't have the holy within mechanic. Um, it's only a 12 inch range. That's so fairly short, but that's why I got rid of the holy within because it could, it'd be quite hard to get holy within your opponent's range. Yeah. Yeah. And it casts on a seven. So it's kind of a harder one to cast anyway. So I didn't want it to be too prohibitive. Yeah. So moving on to the next one, we've got uh, the Valley of Death. This one's obviously set, set in Shaish. This is the one that um, I've actually had a chance to play. I played uh, Brant with this one. So we had we had a huge amount of fun with this scenario, um, just with the deployment. So uh, if you're looking along on in your scenario pack, you'll see that uh, the, the board's divided in half. Player A territory is in the top right corner and player B is in the bottom right corner. So you, your territories are directly opposite each other on one half of the board. You've got four objectives. Uh, one in each of your own territories, twelve in from the board, twelve in from the other uh, from the other board edge, and the other two opposite end, same measurements in, so twelve and twelve in uh, from the side. So, take us through this one, Chris. Yeah, so this one, as you say, four objectives. Each one is twelve inches away from each corner. Um, you. Players are forced down one end um, opposite each other. So your territories go right up to the, the middle line. So it's a 24 into the center and 36 in um, on the longboard edge. And you're right opposite each other. So you've got the whole left-hand side of the board, which is no man's land. But there's two objectives up that end. So this one as the Valley of Death. It's essentially that you're kind of playing it lengthways, um, but without having to actually play lengthways. Um, so the idea is that the reason you're running up the length of the board is because essentially you're running kind of through a valley between 
these um kind of ominous mountains um mm-hmm. these mountain passes in the in the valley of death um this one as you'll probably you'll you'll read as we go through the um the commandability in the the realmscape features and things like that which battle time this one's inspired by um but yeah basically you set up nine inches away from enemy territory so this is one of the ones where you can be a bit closer um but no closer than 18 inches uh, again normal control over the objectives um most models within six but artillery or war machines um within three count as 10 for this one so again you'll notice that in these scenarios there's a lot more leader counts as 10 behemoth counts as 10 artillery and war machine counts as 10 um because again i like to i like to encourage people to take more balanced lists um and yes some armies like not all armies are going to have artilleries war machines but most of them with the ally system could have access to them if they want them but i didn't want it to be vital so it's not like three places of power where only those models can score in every scenario it's always most models within six but certain types of models can help give you an advantage so people that are taking more of a mixed balance list each scenario they should always have models that can count as extras to just help push their kind of model count up in their lists um it's for scoring purposes but yeah, this one basically is worth, um, you score at the end of each of your turns. And this one you'll see is kind of playing on the mechanic from uh, Greased Up Goblin, which is uh, what I like to call it, which is um, the, uh, oh God, my mind's just gone blank now. What's the one? Shifting, no, the starts in the middle and it bounces around. Oh. Relocation, the relocation. Yeah. Um, so this one kind of goes off that mechanic of whether you go first or second in a battle round determines how many points the objectives are worth. Yeah. So if you go first in the battle round, you go one victory point. If you go second, you get two victory points. Um, I've seen a lot of people comment that they think one versus three, like you get um, in the general handbook scenario, is worth too many. Like yeah, it gets too, too much, far ahead. Anyway. Too much of a swing. Yeah. So I've, I've pulled it back to one versus two. Um also because of you'll see as you play it because there are those two objectives in no man's land for any of the armies and there's a lot out there now that have the ability to kind of teleport in deploy off like to set up off the board then drop nine away if they want to take first turn to grab those objectives they can but they're only going to be each objective is only going to be worth one yeah and then your opponent because you've taken that time while you can to just drop in and grab them your opponent then will at least get two so yeah, even, even if you're mm. even if so if your opponent goes first and grabs both of the objectives in no man's land and has their own i mean three two three points mm. even if you can't get anything other than your own it's only three two it's not such a huge swing and if um, you're able to crack one if you're actually able to get one then it's like it's four yeah, two. so it's, a year, it's actually yeah. four four yeah. three um, <laughs> so yeah and that's the thing as well with why it's one two because there's four objectives rather than just the one objective um in the general's handbook scenario that's one and three so um yeah i mean you can talk through your experience of this i guess once we've been through the the command realmscape and realm magic um for kind of how how this went in terms of a back and forth um but yeah i think people should have quite a lot of fun with this um it's a very different deployment again um but one that kind of 
you'll see means you've got to leg it up the board to get objectives but at the same time your opponent's objective isn't that far away so do you want to try and push for theirs? <laughs> you've also got to defend your own from them trying to push for yours um so yeah again hopefully it's something a bit different but um fun as well so uh yeah james do you want to take us through the realm yeah, command been... realmscape feature in the realm magic so the command ability i love this one and um i wish i'd used it more in the game <laughs> um we were using it it was it's it's we were using it like pretty frequently, actually, come to think of it. Um, so you may use this, this as case of hidden knowledge. So you may use this command ability at the start of your hero phase. Roll a dice on a three up, you receive D3 command points. You may not use this command ability more than once per turn. So what we found we were doing, we were just doing this first off. Um, and if you roll that three up, at least you're getting it back. And And if you roll well enough, you'll get you know, two or three. So it was kind of a bit of a no brainy. Just, just go for it. Just do it. If you've, if you've got an extra one there to spare, you're going to get like more than likely going to get on a three up. Um, but that's the thing you might not. <laughs> and, and actually the most you'll ever get is two extra. Yeah. yeah. So it's not going to actually be that crazy. And that's also what I put in the whole, you can't use this more than once in case on your first go, you manage to spend one, get three you've got an ether quartz brooch you just decide to spam it and spam it and but like there's none of that you can do it once if you want the maximum you're going to gain is plus two um and that's going to be lucky because you already have to roll a three up and then roll a five or six so yeah um, but it's a way of getting some extra command points so you can't you can only use this one once in the hero phase yep yeah cool so the realmscape feature is spirits on the wind so the narrow mountain pass that makes up the Valley of the Dead is haunted by the lingering spirits of the long dead. These night haunts come and go like a fell wind through the valley, tearing and slashing at any who get too close to their cairns within the mountainside. So at the start of your hero phase, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of the edge of the battlefield. Uh, on a one to three, the spirits stay quiet and nothing happens. On a four to five, the spirits stir, warning invaders to stay away from their tombs, and the unit suffers one mortal wound. On a six, a particularly particularly malevolent spirit lashes out, outraged at having its resting place disturbed. The unit suffers D3 mortal wounds and subtracts one from their bravery until the end of the turn. So that's uh, at the start of the hero phase for each unit. Roll that dice for each unit within six inches of the battlefield. So what we found uh, in our deployment, because Brant's very risk-averse with his army, so he found himself having – he was deploying – more than six in around his whole, you know, edge of his board. <laughs> and what is it? We have to be more than nine inches away. So he was like really boxed up in this tiny little space in his, in his uh, uh, deployment zone. So, but he, he, he was able to get his whole army there, but he was very compact because <laughs> he didn't want to run the risk of suffering those mortal wounds. But whereas I was just like, meh, I don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> having a death army, of course, but, um, yeah, so it did influence um, deployment. So if you are risk averse and don't want to get uh, run run that risk of getting um, attacked by the spirits, then you may you may consider deploying six inches in off the board edges. Um, that's yeah. It, once again, it's only D three, but that minus one to bravery, I think, is a nice touch too because it will stack nicely with other uh, bravery debuff uh, abilities that are out there. And uh, so the it, it fits from the night horn. Fluff. Yeah, all of Nighthawk give you minus one bravery. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's yeah. So this is obviously inspired by the Nighthawk battle tome, and like I say, the 
the description of it of being a narrow mountain pass as i said that's why the board is playing up lengthways um and the whole it's only if you're near the edges that you risk taking damage because they're burials and they're they're lingering in the mountainside so it's only if you go too close to the mountains that you'll take damage and yeah yeah uh, but so it, the... it's very much very much lord of the rings valley of the dead kind of yeah inspired as well if anyone's if anyone's seen that absolutely so there's uh the realm magic is sphere of shaish so a purple orb of necrotic energy forms in the caster's hands before being hurled at their foes so Spheres Shices has a casting value of 7. If successfully cast, pick a point on the battlefield within 12 and visible to the caster. Draw an imaginary line 1 millimeters wide between the caster and that point. Any unit touched by the line suffers D3 mortal wounds. Death units are unaffected. If the casting roll was an un- unmodified 10+, plus, any unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. So it's kind of uh, reminiscent of the Aramanthine Orb um, spell so you've yep. got that um it's not exactly the same but you in that 12 inch line draw that draw that everything underneath it um on a four up surface d sticks but this one's just a i think a bit easier to just happens you just get d3 mortal wounds and if you cast strong then yeah d6 i like again, death, i like death units that are that are, they're not affected that's i, I like that yeah, they shouldn't be. It's the sphere of Shayush. If they just get death magic thrown at them, it shouldn't hurt them. Yeah, um, should make them mind. stronger. You should have yeah. put a rule in there saying that um, uh, death units may add D three models to their unit. And I um, could hear the cries of OP 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 if I did that, James. <laughs> uh, I don't see anything wrong with it anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to make the. Uh, there's a lot of if the casting roll is ten plus and things like that in the in the new books, then you get multiple effects. But this one, I wanted it to be unmodified because D six mortal wounds, like guaranteed in a straight line, is strong. So I didn't want armies like Zinch, for example, that can can actually control their um, casting results and make them incredibly high very easily to just or death themselves to be able to just like Nagash and Arcan kind of casting covens to be able to just smash out the 10 plus really easily um, because it would be too powerful so it's it's an unmodified 10 plus so yeah absolutely so yeah there's been the game that Brand and I played we obviously have deployed off with each other Brand um, deployed six inches in from the boards as well <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was just this, it was just, yeah, that whole thing. Do I go forward and try and take that objective? Um, I was, I had an arc, my arc and list an earlier version of it, but um, had some dogs in there as well. So it was really just that race for the other objectives, which I thought was quite really thematic because that you're literally running down the, um, the valley for these uh, objectives. Uh, so I had my dogs going down there. Brant was sending his swordsman down. Um, but he had a couple of griffins that were flying about running a muck and um, messing with my plans. <laughs> so, and he's because of also he's because he runs the free peoples. Um, he's got that, all that stand and shoot um, shenanigans. And so I was actually terrified of actually trying to go in to get the objective because uh, he'd camped his um, handgunners and all these other like crossbowmen and shooting within like you know, all, he sets up his units so they're all sort of supporting each other and stuff. So it was actually a really good uh, matchup and scenario for those real sort of camp, you know, castling lists. Um, yeah, so we just, it was to and fro. We, you know, 
stuff was killed, mistakes, stuff was killed, mistakes were made. But uh, the main thing was uh, yeah, running for those objectives and the battle that ensued over that side. And um, Brent ended up like, kicking my butt quite quite soundly <laughs> towards the end of that that match. But um, it was pretty casual. We were just playing um, at, at my place. But, uh, yeah, we, we, had, we did enjoy the scenario very much. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed being facing off with it, like very close to each other, all compact on one side of the board. And just that race for the others was a real cool element and made for a really fun, engaging game. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So that brings us to the last scenario. No. Which is a personal favourite of mine. The feast day. A feast day. <laughs> so, yes, this is uh, the... Di- fleshy- diagonal deployment? This is the fleshy Eccles inspired mm. um, scenario for me so basically if anybody looks at this deployment map they will see that it is pretty much identical to focal points so you've got one in the middle and then four kind of not the four corners but you've got four um otherwise in a diamond um so it's basically the same kind of setup as um border wall right yes um but a diagonal deployment which it's it's the deployment of focal points it's very very similar to focal point um for this one but the only difference uh, again it's you'll see that on the map the outer objectives so the non-central objective are one two three and four um because that's the same thing as focal points so if you control one and three then you get three victory points if you control two and four you get three victory points um, if you control the middle, you get two. And if you control any other objective, you get one. Um, most models are then six um, of the objectives if it's one to four. But the central objective, the change that I've done is the central objective can only be controlled by uh, a model with the leader battlefield role. Again, that needs to be a hero. So it will be FAQ'd that it's heroes only. So again, 20 yeah. Grim Wrath Berserker lists, not not that I think any will turn up, but just in case there's any spam there with some armies that have access to more than six leaders now, um, that won't be a thing. So it's just heroes. Uh, within three, then that's kind of similar to places of power. If more than one model is eligible, the first one to arrive controls it until they move away or are slain. Yep. Um, so then this one has... Um, the charnel throne, which is just a little bit extra added in, which is that that's what the central objective is. So a hero within one of the central objective, the charnel throne, may use the at the double forward to victory or inspiring presence command ability once per round without having to spend once per battle round without having to spend a command point. Nice. So I, I didn't want it so that people could just use any of their command abilities for free, but it mm. lets you use the three standard ones for either a, an auto pass battle shock, um, a six to run or a reroll charge. Um, you can use it once per battle round for free. If you've got a hero within one of the middle. It's good. I like it. I, I'd imagine um, if you're camping on there, you'd be yeah inspiring presencing a bit there. I think Yeah, it's good. And also it shouldn't be confusing as well because Anyone using a charnel throne, like an actual charnel throne, playing as fleshy at courts, it will be impossible for them to set it up within range of that central objective because of the fact that it has to be deployed within 12 of a board edge. So there shouldn't be any confusion between fleshy at courts, actual terrain feature charnel thrones, and the charnel throne central objective 
rule. A, this is a built-in, yeah, a built-in Charnel Throne. It's an ancient yeah. one. It's been yeah. there for eons. Yeah. Cool. So it's uh, victory points, very similar to uh, Border War with the the scoring focal points. No, focal it's, points. Sorry, it's my bad. Focal points. Yeah. Um, so the command ability, so is blood shield. So at the start of the hero phase, the general may draw on the blood magics of the charnel throne to create a protective shield around themselves. Until your next hero phase, roll a dice whenever the general suffers a wound or mortal wound. On a five up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. You may not use this command ability more than once per turn. So no five up stacking, but you can get a five up ward save for a command point. Nice. But only on your general, so you can't do it on big units of stuff. It's only on the general, um, but yeah. So you can't stack it on existing after saves? You can stack it on any save that you might already have, but you can't stack yep. this as a command <clears throat> ability. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah, you can't just go, for, I've got four command points, burn, five up, five up, five up, five up. Exactly. <laughs> <Or> whatever. <laughs> yeah, just once per turn. Cool. Well, once per, um, yeah. Once per turn because it's in your hero phase. So, yeah, cool. And that's um, until to your next hero phase. Yep, it's great. That's really good. Um, so, Realmscape feature is Burning Skies. So, obviously, this is set in the uh, realm of Akshi. So, Burning Skies: the sun burns hot in Akshi, hotter than any other. In fact, so hot that the flying creatures of the realm quickly learn to adapt to the heat or blister and burn. It's a bit of a throw here to the. Uh, blister, blister, blister skin. skin. Yep. Uh, whenever a flying unit from your army makes a normal move or rolls a charge distance over six inch, six inches, consult the table below. So if you roll a six to nine, so flying low, nothing happens. If you roll a ten to twelve, riding the thermals, they suffer one mortal wound. And on a thirteen inch or more, I guess uh, after modifiers and whatnot, soaring too high, too high, they suffer D three mortal wounds. Very thematic. I like it. Yeah. So this is basically any of your super fast moving. So it's whenever a unit makes a normal move or makes a charge roll over that distance. Obviously, it says over six inches, consult the table below. But realistically, it's only if you make a 10 or more that it will actually do any damage. Yeah. Um, but it, it's normal moves as well. So any of those really fast armies that can just like like eels and stuff like that, that can just move 14. Like any unit just moving 14 inches, they're going to take D3 more wounds. Yeah. Ah, yes, of course. Cool. Uh, so real magic is uh, the sphere of Akshi. So drawing power from the lava flows bubbling through the ground, the caster manifests a burning fireball to sear their foes. So the sphere of Akshi has a casting value of 5. If successfully cast, pick a visible enemy unit within 18 of the caster. They suffer one mortal wound. If the casting value was 8, they suffer D3. If it was 10, they suffered D6. So this is unmodified, or can this be modified? That can be modified. This can be modified. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. That's, basi- that's basically the fireball spell yeah. from the core book. So it starts on a five. Basically, it's just a five if you want to do an arcane bolt. But if you manage to roll an eight plus, it'll do D3. And if you manage to roll a 10 plus, it'll do D6. Yeah, that's it. So there we go. That's the uh, That's the feast day. Yeah, so, I mean, anyone that is used to playing focal points will know how to play the scenario, but there is a little twist with the whole central objective can only be controlled by heroes, so you've got that kind of place of power combined with focal points. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it's um, 
should be really interesting and a fun one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for taking us through that, Chris. It was excellent. So there, there will be agendas in play um, for uh, for each each battle. So could you just take us through um, how we go about selecting our agendas and how it will sort of pan out with the scoring booklets and things like that? Yeah, so um, the agendas, basically these are secondary objectives um, to achieve. You have to pick an agenda at the start of each game. You tell your opponent um, which one you're trying to achieve that game. There'll be a space in your player booklets to write both yours and your opponent's down, which you're trying to achieve. And then obviously at the end of the game, you need to say whether you achieved yours and whether your opponent achieved theirs, um, just so that we can kind of cross-check everything and make sure people are doing them um, and we can keep track of which ones are being attempted and which ones have been achieved um, because you can try and you can try and attempt the same agenda multiple times but once you achieve it you'll only score it once so it basically allows for if there's one that you want to if there's an easy one that you think you can do and you want to try and do it but actually something happens and you fail you can try and do that one again in your next game um, but once you have achieved it you won't score again for trying to do the same one so you might as well move on to a different one um but i didn't want it so that if armies only really have one or two that are manageable for them to do or easier for them to do if something goes wrong in that game like badly in that game and they're not able to achieve one of those ones um it can be a bit disheartening but it means they can just try it again in the next game but they'll only ever get rewarded for the same agenda once so um, and these are just the 12 agendas that are the standard agendas put out by um, Games Workshop um, for match play. So um, I won't kind of read through them all, but they're included at the back of the scenario pack. Um, as I say, they're the official ones put out by Games Workshop. They're only worth two TPs each, um, so it's nothing too crazy. But across the course of the five of them, it's 10 TPs, which is the equivalent of a major victory. So um, it's not... Uh, diminutive amount so they're worth trying to achieve if you can yeah so like you can kind of do a big catch-up right there at late game if you need to they'll be important but at the same time they shouldn't someone winning five major wins should win over someone that gets four major wins yeah um unless the person on five majors doesn't manage to achieve a single agenda but if you get five major wins and you manage to do one of your five agendas and as i said you can try and do the same one if it's the easiest one for you to achieve mm. all five times if you need to um then you'll win over someone getting four major wins and f- five agendas because ultimately i think the person winning should be on five major wins so yeah definitely well um but to uh, just have a chat a quick chat about the um the painting competition awards as well yeah sure so for the tournament uh we've got coolest army players choice uh, so that'll be awarded to the player who receives the most coolest army player votes. And we also have best painted player's choice. So that'll be awarded to the player who, who receives the most best presented player votes. So best, best painted. Yeah. Well, best, uh, sorry, best painted. Um, so what, uh, so what was your thoughts around, around um, structuring it this way, Chris? So, I mean, I think that's a fairly standard thing at, at most tournaments you'll come to in Australia really is there's the, generally there's kind of a, a best painted or maybe sometimes it's best presented and there's what what's the thing behind that but it's it's players choice really of what's the best painted um army and then there's also the the kind of coolest as well because a, a lot of the time 
some people go, oh, there's one that's really cool, but it might not actually be the technically best painted. So if you just have a single best painted award, sometimes people are like, well, it might go to an army that actually probably isn't the best painted because people are like, well, that's one, that's the one I like. And there can be a bit of ambiguity. So we kind of have both awards. So there's a coolest and there's a best painted. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully players will vote for what they genuinely think is the best painted. And then the coolest is yeah, generally whichever one they think is the coolest army. So yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're both player voted awards. Um, because then we've got the separate painting competition, which is actually judge voted. So, um, yeah, so that's the uh, the Legends um, painting competition. So you uh, have the Hero of Legend, which is your best painted single character. Uh, there's a Regiment of Renown category, uh, which is the best painted unit. Uh, Monstrous Marvel category, so the best painted single monster. And the Masterpiece, so uh, best painted open category. So, um, yeah, the, so these entries don't have to be in your army that you bring on the weekend. Correct. So you can enter anything that you like. Um, as long as it's a fantasy miniature. Doesn't yeah. have to be doesn't have to be Games Workshop or anything like that. It can be any model maker, um, anything you like, as long as it's fantasy. Um, no Space Marines. Yeah, ultimately, um, <laughs> like Sydney Slaughter is a Age of Sigmar event, so yeah. it needs it needs to be fantasy miniatures. Um, but other than that, um, yeah, it's the unit category is any unit of three or more models. Um and then, yeah, it's individual hero, individual monster, and then the open category. So that can be anything you anything you want. It could be any yeah. something that would fall into any of those categories. It could be a jewel. It could be yeah, whatever you whatever you want. And can you enter all of the categories if you want? So you can only enter up to a maximum of two, um, and that's basically to in, it's actually to encourage people to enter rather than the opposite. Um, because sometimes if people know there's one phenomenal painter coming to an event and they could enter everything some people just might see that as off-putting and, and not bother because they're like oh well they're just going to win everything anyway yeah. whereas because a player can only enter a maximum of two you don't know which two they're going to enter so it's always worth sticking your hat in the ring and and, and just putting something in because they're not going to be able to enter every category anyway so um you never yeah. know you might enter two that the two that they don't enter so so you could like for the masterpiece i really like that it's an open category so if you've if you've created a diorama or something like that, you could enter that, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. That's that's so cool. If you've like it gives you opportunity if you want to paint something specifically for the tournament in these in a couple of these categories, like you could give you like just a opportunity to paint something outside of uh your usual armies. Um just kind yeah, of well, I mean, for yourself, example, or if you've like got some techniques you want to try out or you've been mastering recently or whatever and you just want to kind of really showcase um, your talent, where you've got to, where you're at with your, your painting and everything, then this is an opportunity, perfect opportunity to um, to strat your stuff, <laughs> get your stuff out there, and um, yeah, I think it's yeah. great. You don't really see this very often in tournaments either, and I, I think it's a really nice touch, and it's it's that real um, giving um, sort of credence to the the painting side of the hobby as well, which is good. Yeah, it's hard. It. Yeah, I've kind of mentioned before that south coast in the uk was one of my inspirations for kind of slaughter in general as an event um from from my understanding of of it anyway from hearing about it over the few years of they were doing custom scenarios and they have a painting competition and uh, with multiple categories and stuff like that and um winning the painting is 
as very prestigious as much as winning the gaming is as well and yeah it's it's an event that caters for everyone and, and that's what i wanted so because i know there's painters out there that are painters predominantly and they have to do a weekend of gaming to enter painting awards so i wanted a bit more for the painters as well um but yeah i mean in terms of the open category for example Stephen drury won it last year with a um an upsized boromir um bust so um oh, nice. that was yeah from Lo- yeah, like Lord, right, yeah. Lord of the Rings so it's not actually uh it doesn't need to be a kind of 28 mil as they say it's more like 32 mil 40 mil scale these days with GW but um yeah kind of it, it doesn't need to be your typical kind of 28 mil scale model either it can be a fantasy bust or anything like that so get some of those Mercer miniatures <laughs> yeah get or, a monster or on anything. there yeah yeah although you could enter that in the monstrous marvel <laughs> yeah you could or you can enter it in the open so yeah. if you've got two monsters that you're really proud of one can go in the open one can go in the monster so yeah done sorted uh, so there's a few additional awards as well so uh pro painted studios um one of the sponsors um for sydney slaughter so they've provided uh token sets for 18 factions yeah so at the time of them coming on board um so it was kind of all the way up to Skaven um, and Flesh Eater Courts uh, releases, they have provided a copy of their faction-specific token sets for all 18 factions that they produced at that point, and they are being given away as prizes for the best-in-faction for those 18 factions. So there's heaps of prizes this year. So um, hopefully it'll encourage some people to bring that have those armies that maybe might have shelved them for a bit to kind of dust them off and bring some of the uh, less res- less represented factions um, back out to the tabletop. Because you've got things like Caradron Overlords, um, Bone Splitters, things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah it would be cool. Um, and, yeah, whoever does the best in their faction will... Uh, as long as it's one of the 18 that are listed in the pack, they will win the full token set as well. So There's even one there for Iron Jaws. Yeah. So Iron Jaws players coming to the tournament, this one's for you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's hopefully something that will be cool, encouraging people to really try and win that Best in Faction award more than ever. Um, yep. And obviously we've got the usual kind of Best in Grand Alliance awards for the four Grand Alliances as, as expected um, from the trophies. So. So if you, um, so for example, if you if you podium, so you get second, say so, say so you get second, and you're also, you're an order army, so you get second best order, and just, just say you're like Seraphon or something, you would also get best in faction. Yep. Clean up. See, so it's potential there to really clean up a bit there, isn't there? Yep. Um, so yeah, best opponent first, second, third. Obviously, the first, second, third places, um, and then wooden spoon. Um, and then there's also best opponent first, second, and third. So um, yeah, really trying to push the importance of that and reward good sportsmanship a bit more as well with um, three sportsmanship trophies. Um, and also players will make a first, second, and third preference as well. So it's not just a pick one or pick two of your five games. Yeah. So you can hopefully reward more people as well for playing well. So playing in the spirit of the game. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add to to this episode, Chris? No, I think that's everything. Um, as I said at the start, if you haven't signed up to Sydney Slaughter yet, um, you need to sign up by this Sunday, the 19th of May. Um, so check out the Facebook event, um, Sydney Slaughter 2019. 
Um, all the links to the player pack and how to make payment and everything are in there. So yeah, please sign up, come along. Um, should be a really good weekend. We've got heaps of prize support from our sponsors, not just Pro Painted, but we've got we've got a bunch of stuff um, to give oh, away. Yeah. We really have got a lot um, this year. Um, yeah, we've so, got, uh, um, yeah. So we've got Avatars of War. They came on um, pretty early in the piece, so they provided uh, they've given us five of their blister pack. Um, champions so i've tried to get a few from different um, grand alliances uh so those are really cool and if anyone's if you've seen them check them out they're at um avatars of war.com uh war and peace games uh they're a online hobby shop uh based on the central coast of new south wales so they've they immediately just sent a box full of um age of sigma uh models so like that was fantastic i was i was really blown away by that um, Company of Dice, of course, who are hosting the event. Um, so it's through them with the, a connection with the guys there with Byron and Joe and, and all the gang there at um, Company of Dice. They actually hold their monthly um, gaming meet there, first Saturday of every month at um, Padstow RSL, which is where Slaughter will be. Yeah, and there's, I think, already um, people are setting up um, attendance at that games day on the 1st of June. So the week before Sydney slaughter to have a kind of Sydney slaughter practice games day where there'll be a bunch of people um, from Sydney playing through the scenarios and getting some practice in. So um should be a go- good opportunity for people to come along and check it out and get some practice in before the weekend as well. So absolutely, yeah, definitely, definitely support the company of dice guys. So, yeah. And we've um, also some very generous uh, price support um, and terrain mats, et cetera, from um, urbanmats.com. So they guys based in Europe. And we also, uh, gamemat.eu um, sent us a, a game mat too. So, yeah, quite a lot of game mats, a lot of, um, box, like, a lot of boxes of models uh, coming your way, the tokens. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. And of course, last but not least, the trophies. So yep. I think the trophies order's gone out today. You were saying, yeah, trophies are all in. So yeah, it's um, there's a lot of swag up for grabs. So yeah, please sign up um if you're free on the eighth and ninth of June um and come along. We've got spaces for eighty players. Um, so we've got heaps and heaps of space. So yeah, come along. Um, we'll have really nice tables for everyone and. Um, yeah, it should be a really fun weekend. Um, there'll probably be a quiz on the Saturday evening, um, as expected. And the bar is going to be, we've got a private bar in the room, um, which is going to be staffed all weekend. Um, so you won't have to go kind of outside and wait at the uh, the public bar. You can have your own private bar in the room. Um, and that's going to be on. And the venue will be open late on the Saturday as well. So, yeah, it should be a really good, fun weekend. So please, if you, please, yeah. if you are free, do come along and support the event and support our sponsors. And I'll be running trivia on the, the Saturday night too. So stick so around. I, so I can get on the Guava Cruises. Yeah, on the Guava Cruises. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will not be partaking that weekend. <laughs> nah, people... I'm not. I'm sober now anyway until Christmas. So <laughs> oh, I, knew, I put mine in for eight weeks. So I'm, I'm two weeks in without a drop. So feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I hear you are going to be guest on another show soon james did you want to quickly mention that yeah sure um so uh, luke stone um who is part of the who runs the uh Cinderfall gaming crew over there in um, south australia in adelaide uh so he's been uh he started up a new show recently just called the narrative show uh with i think it's him and andrew bigwood have been doing some some stuff there so uh he's kindly asked me to come onto the show to talk about my army and the sort of the background narrative of 
of uh, my death army. And so I'll be on there talking about my characters, how I sort of, I guess it, it does inform the way I'll write my list most of the time. So, um, and I'll, I'll probably talk about my Bretonians and stuff as well. So it's really just getting into all that real super nerdy uh, stuff behind naming your characters and developing a story for your, your characters and your army and all that sort of thing. And how it doesn't have to be a huge deal to do. You don't go have to write a novel about it. You can just incorporate it into everyday sort of hobby. But um, yeah, we'll sort of be touching on all that narrative sort of style stuff. So if that's for you, uh, tune in on the Monday night. We'll be recording um, going to on his YouTube channel. It's at Cinefall Gaming at YouTube. So uh, get on, get online there. Um, click sub, sub, subscribe and um, come along and, um, and join us on the Monday night, 27th of May. Yeah, sweet. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up this show. Um, and yeah, we hope that you've enjoyed the show. Check out the um, check out the battle plans, even if you can't make it to Sydney Slaughter, if you're an international listener and you like the sound of the battle plans, um, they're available on the website. They're always up there, as are the ones from every year that we've run Slaughter. Um, go to mortallywoundedpodcast.com, go on the events tab, and you'll find the, the links to the scenario packs each year. Um, check them out playing playing with your gaming groups hopefully you have fun um ultimately that's why they're there it's just i wrote some battle plans that i thought would be a bit different but really fun and enjoyable and check them out and if you can make it to sydney on the 8th and 9th of june then again yeah please check it out sign up to the event and come along and we look forward to seeing you there absolutely thanks for listening guys and we'll catch up with you again very soon